with Hashem's help, we're learning Soita Daftes. And we left off on Daftes, Amid Aleph, 10 lines from the top of the Amid. We started to learn the Sugya, beginning with the Mishnah of Mida Keneged Mida. The Mida Sha'ada Moided, Ba Moided in Loi, according to the measure with which one measures his own actions, with it, with that measure, they, in other words, Hashem, measures for him. And we are applying it now to all of the procedure that happens with a soita. Says the Mishnah, says the Gemara, 10 lines from the top, we're just going to relearn this line. He, Hishkatu, Yayin Meshubach, she gave him the adulterer fine wine, and bekoisos mishubachim in fine glassware. Lefikach therefore koyin mashke hamayim hamarim. When the koyin is going to give her to drink the bitter waters, it's given to her b'mikida shel chedes in a earthenware fire pot. And look inside the third Rashi in the top of the Amid, which is pchusa umeguna shebekoisos. He gives her to drink the waters in the most lowly. And the most inexpensive utensils, Vaiter in the Gemara, he also she acted in seclusion. So therefore, Yoishev Beseser El the one who sits in seclusion, is Shum, some, but upon him turns his attention to her. And Shinemar, as it says in Eov, that Vaayin Noyev Shamra Neshev. In other words, the adulterer's eye awaits Ishamra Neshef, awaits the night. Lamar saying that that no one is going to see me. And therefore, the opposite, she is seen, her disgrace is seen in public. Another interpretation, he also says, Again, she acted in seclusion. Hashem publicized her. Shinemar, as it says, that the chasa sina that one who covers something hated by Hashem by the darkness is will have his evil revealed or publicized in the call in public. And that's the end of the brace. So we began off by saying there's a concept called Mida Keneged Mida. Really, we brought three psukim for it. The first pasik spoke about that an entire sa'a, a large measurement, is repaid to the person. Then there was another pasik which was even a, a smaller amount, Kichol Sa'ain Sa'ain Barash. And then finally, the Gemara brought on Davchesam and based the pasik that Achas La'achas Lemtsay Cheshman. The concept of pruta pruta mitzdaref is lachashman gadol. So asks the Gemara only achad the nafkalemi achas laachas lemtsoy cheshvain. Since, as we just mentioned, three lines from the bottom of chesamet beis, we brought the pasuk that Hashem adds one to another to determine the amount. In other words, every little misbehavior is added until Hashem seeks or affects retribution. So the question is, if it's achas la achas, adding one to any other, so kichol sa'ain, sa'ain berash, that for every measure, Hashem measures back with noise, lamali. Answers the Gemara, lechemida, 
to teach us this concept of measure for measure. From the last Pasuk, we had on Avchesamad Beis, one to one, God adds pruta pruta mitzarefes l'chesh ben gadol. That doesn't mean that when Hashem gives retribution, it is exactly with the same measure. All that means is that even though Hashem is patient and He doesn't give retribution immediately, but all of the little misbehaviors, they add up to a large, um, it's viewed by Hashem as a large act of rebellion. But that when Hashem punishes, that His punishment is for that measure, we don't see that in the Pasuk one-to-one. For that we brought the other Pasuk, that for every measure, even a small measure, is soyen barash, God seeks retribution with noise, with that exact measure. So now the question is, So then why did we need the first Pasuk where it says that all right, the first Pasik that Hashem, with a precise measure of a saw, which is a large measurement, Hashem will contend with her when Hashem sends her away. Because when Hashem sends her away, He sends her away with a punishment that is exactly in the measure of the sin. Why did we need that? Says the Gemara, that was needed. Hashem doesn't punish a nation Ad shas shilucha until her time of destruction comes. So nations can sin. And it appears that initially there is no reaction from Hashem. It appears like they're getting away with it. But actually Hashem waits for the time of their destruction. And then Hashem pays them back with that measure of evil. And that guarantees that they are fully destroyed. So when a nation's time comes to the end, they are completely knocked out. And that's from the Pasik, Bisaso, Bishalcha. In other words, when you send her away, you will contend with her with the same measure that she did when she behaved sinfully. Asks the Gemara, how can you say that? How can you say that this Pasik is telling you that when a nation's time of destruction comes, she fully gets destroyed because Hashem gives her retribution according to her sins? Rava said that Shloisha Ulama, as Rashi points out, that when the Sar Hamashkin had a dream, right, when the royal butler had the dream in jail, when he was incarcerated with Yosef HaTzadik, and in the dream he saw three cups, and a cup is a symbol, amongst other things, for divine retribution. Why did he dream of three cups? And to this Rav explained, Achas Sheshosos Bimei Moshe. Because the Egyptians were actually punished three times. One time was in the days of Moshe during the, you know, the ten plagues, and ultimately by Kriyas Yamsuf. And Va'achas, and the second time was Sheshosos Bimei Parei The retribution that Hashem gave to the Egypt during the time of Parei Nechoi. Parei was the king in Egypt when Nebuchadnezzar was ruling the world. And there was a war between Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked, Melech Bavel, with Egypt. And again, he totally knocked out Egypt. And Va'achas in the third cup is is the cup of retribution that Hashem will give to Egypt with all of its colleagues with the coming of Mashiach. So now the question is, how can we interpret that when a nation's time of destruction comes? Hashem fully punishes the nation all in one time. Here we see that the same nation was punished three times, which means that they, weren't, they were not fully destroyed. It happened once, it happened again, it happened again. Why? The evil for which they're getting punished for is everything that they did to the Jewish people during our servitude. So they should have been punished with all of that full measure. 
And if you're going to tell me that that even though that geographically God is going to punish those who leave in that territory three times, twice already, and once in the future, once in the imminent future, but maybe the people are not the same people. Why are the people not the same people? Because the ones who lived in Egypt were taka fully destroyed, and and other people came into Egypt, and they were subsequently destroyed in the time of Paranachai, and then they were completely destroyed, and now other people came to Egypt, and now they will get destroyed in the times of Mashiach. So that's not, that cannot be. And it says the Gemara, no, because we learned in Abraisam. And we learned this together in Yevamis, that Omar Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says that you should know that Minyamin Geir Hamitzri Hoyli Chaver Rabakiva. That when I was studying with Rabakiva, I had a Chaver, and his name was Minyamin, and he was a convert from Egypt. Now, the Torah says, regarding the Egyptians, that when, if someone is going to convert from Egypt, either a man or a woman, they are not allowed to marry into the Jewish congregation until the third generation, which would mean that if a person converts, right, he calls his name Yanko, and then he has a son, and then he has a grandson, only the grandson can marry into the Jewish community. However, what were to happen if this Egyptian, so there's the Mitzri Rishon, the Mitzri Rishon means the one who converted himself or herself. Mitzri Sheni is their son. And Shlishi, the grandson, he can already, she can already marry into the community. Now, if an Egyptian who cannot marry into the community, who does he marry? So he can marry a convert. Now, what were to happen if the Mitzri is going to marry another Egyptian convert? So if he's a first and she's a first, perfect. If their children, if the second marries another Egyptian second, perfect. Because they're not delaying the third generation of marrying into the congregation. But if a Mitzri Sheni marries a Mitzri who converted themselves, so there's a rule, as Rashi brings down, that that the child goes after the one who has, a, who has the greater blemish. So if one father, one parent is the first generation convert, and the other parent is already a second generation convert, we view the, the grandkid not as the third generation, but as the second generation. So he used to say that Omar Minyamin Geramitsri Ani. I am Minyamin. I he, he you know he was honest. I'm a convert and I'm an Egyptian. And therefore I am a Mitzri Rishon. And I went ahead, Vinosasi Mitzris Rishina. I made sure that I married a woman, right? Also a convert, because I was not allowed to marry into Kahal Hashem. Now he did not have to marry a convert from Egypt, but that was just a fact. And he said, and therefore, Asi Libini, I'm gonna make sure that I'm gonna make sure that my son should also marry a Mitzris Shaniyah, another convert that's already second generation. Why? As we spoke out, because if his son were to marry a Mitzris Rishon, so then his grandkid will still not be allowed to marry into the congregation. So then, Now what does all this prove? If you're going to tell me that the people that lived in Egypt, Bizman were completely annihilated, and the Egyptians that lived during the times of Nebuchadnezzar, there were other Egyptians. And they were also fully annihilated. So Nebuchadnezzar was at the end of Bayesian. The times of the Tanoim, Rabbi Kiva was already at the end of the Bayesian. Or after the Bayesian. So if they're not the same Egyptians, why would we apply the prohibition of don't marry the, the Egyptian? A convert from Egypt cannot marry into the congregation. It would not be relevant. 
So we see from over here that these are the same Egyptians. Period. By the way, Rashi himself says that this Bryce is not according to everyone. Because it, when with the Gemara in Brachas says, and Gemara in Kedushan says, that Rabakiva said that since the king Sanchev was mevalbal the whole world, which means that when he conquered, he used to take the majority of one population and, and he moved them to another country. He made sure that every country has its internal fightings for no one to have the koyach and the time to rebel against him, Sanchev. And he exiled the majority of the Egyptians. And he holds that the Egyptians that live today in Egypt, they're Takanata Egyptians. Very interesting. And by the way, that's the way that Amman Paskin. That Amman Paskin that if someone converts from Egypt, we do not apply to them these rules that they cannot marry into the Jewish congregation until the third generation because they're not the same. Now, it's interesting to note that some people actually want to claim, but that's not correct, that the prohibition of leaving in Egypt and the prohibition of not allowing an Egyptian convert marrying into the congregation, that they run on the same track. And therefore, those hold that the reason why people are allowed to live in Egypt today is because we paskin like the Rambam, we paskin not like this Braisa, that they're no longer those Egyptians. So you can actually live there, but that's not correct because the Rambam, who, like we mentioned, he holds that there is no restrictions in a convert today from Egypt. They are not from those original Egyptians. They can immediately marry into the Jewish community. But the Rambam himself writes that one today is not allowed to live in Egypt. The fact that the Rambam lived there, that's a whole different conversation. Okay, so back over here. Our Gemara is quoting this B'raisa. So we see that a nation is not fully annihilated when God punishes them. So therefore we amend the statement of Rab Chinon of our Papa. That he says that Hashem only punishes a king until it's time for that king to be sent away. You know, there's a concept, the same, the same idea, that, and we see this in reality. I mean, what happened to the Germans? In the meanwhile, nothing yet. Maybe this wave of immigrants is the beginning of their end. But, but that, that a nation, from the time that Cain sinned, Cain sinned, he murdered. And Hashem was going to punish him immediately. But since his prayer, from then onwards, that Hashem gave him seven generations, this is just part of reality. Which, which is also why it makes one's faith in God to be challenged. And how do evil people get away with their evil? And there's no retribution. Shinemar, as it says, the same now recording this Pasuk, that when you will send her away, now it's referring to a king, then God is going to send the king away with a precise measure and with a full measure. So a king that behaves sinfully, when they get destroyed, they get fully destroyed. Continues the Gemara. Ameymar, Masni Lohod Rabchinono Bar Papa Aho. Ameymar learned the statement of Rabchinono on the following. My Dechsiv, what's the meaning of the Pasik? Kiani Havaya Loishinisi. That I Havaya, I Hashem, I do not change. That's the literal interpretation. The Atem Bene Yaakov Loishilisem. And you, Bene Yaakov, you are never, you never fully perish. So the literal interpretation of the Pasuk is, being that the Bnei Yaakov, the Jewish people, we have in us a chelik alakami malmamish. So just like Hashem never changes, Hashem is forever, we are always forever. And even in this physical world that there are terrible calamities that befall the Jewish people in the past, but it never fully annihilated us. That's the literal meaning. Says the Gemara over here, that Ani Hashem loy shonisi, gavaldik shonisi, here means from the word to, to change. 
not to change, to, to repeat something equally. That I, Hashem, when I punish a nation, I never repeat the same punishment. In order for the Goyim not to say that the power of God is only with water, or that the power of God is only with fire, or that the power of God is only with who knows what. So therefore, for example, the Masha speaks out, all of the ten plagues were different. And even later on in history, when Hashem has to punish the same nation again, like we learned in Mitzrayim, Bimei Moshe, Bimei Paranachoi, in the days of Mashiach, during all that, Hashem will never repeat the same punishment. That lo hekesi lo'uma vishonisi, from the word sheni, I never repeated. But But when it comes to the Jewish people, loy chilisem, loy chilisem here would mean that we do not get annihilated, we never get fully destroyed, but when Hashem punishes us, He punishes us always the same way. Nevertheless, it never fully knocks us out. And that's the meaning of the Pasik that chitzai achalibam, that my arrows, I shall finish against them. No, it's not that I shall finish them with my arrows. My arrows I shall finish against them. Chitzai kiloyan, chitzai kalin, my arrows finish. But vehein ain kalin, but the Jewish people never are finished. And really, people explain that one is connected to the other. When it comes to other nations, Hashem does not punish them immediately. So therefore, their measure of punishment gets accumulated. And when Hashem actually gives them punishment, it knocks them out because it's a large measure of punishment. They can't take it. They can't survive it. But since Hashem does not wait when it comes to punishing the Jewish people, so we get constantly punished, arrow after arrow after arrow, but every punishment is only in a smaller measure. So therefore, we survive... And we're here, and we'll be here forever. That this concept of punishment, this goes even to an individual. That Hashem does not punish an individual until his measure is filled. As it says, that only after his desire was fulfilled, then, then misfortune will befall him. In other words, even when it comes to us, like we mentioned by Cain, people sin, they don't immediately get punished. First, Hashem allows them to finalize their sin, and then they get punished for all of their sin. If Hashem would have stopped them in the middle, then the punishment would have been less as well. What's the meaning of the Pasik? That seeing joyfully Tzadikim Bashem, either in Hashem or because of Hashem. And then he says, La Yisharim that for the Yisharim, for the upright, Navasihila, praise is fitting, says the Gemarim, Al Tikrei Navasihila, don't read fitting. In other words, for the upright, praise is fitting. Ela Nevei Sihila. Nevei Sihila means, Rashi explains, that the structures, the palaces that the righteous build are constantly praising Hashem. You have to understand that praising Hashem doesn't necessarily have to exclusively be verbally. Some things, the things that we build, if they are built for the glory of Hashem, they are constantly glorifying God. So that tzaddikim, through the neveh of tzaddikim, through their palaces, through their building structures, being as we'll see in a moment that certain tzaddikim are so connected to godliness that the eternity that is associated with Ruchnia, spirituality, by those tzaddikim, it actually affected even their physical actions. And as the Gemara says, that what Moshe built physically and what David built physically, they are forever. They were never destroyed. 
So therefore their buildings, their structures are constantly praising God because they're always going to be here. Because the enemies of the Jewish people were never able to destroy, to erase, to have any power over the ma'asei, the actions, the buildings, neither of Moshe nor of David. And as we learn in Hasidus, that this is connected to the seventh, that both Moshe, in other words, ruchnius is nitzchis. Spirituality is eternal. Physical things are limited. But those tzaddikim that dear Avoida was to bring down, so to say, godliness in the physical world, like Moshe Rabbeinu, right, who brought the Torah down into the world, like David HaMelech, who we attribute the first temple to him. So therefore, that eternity was imbued in their buildings. David, as it says, that and he quotes a Pasuk in Eicha, that don't think that the first temple episode was destroyed. The gates of the first base on Migdash were sunken into the ground. And Ula Yeshleimer, that when it says, Shitas Rashi, Shitas Toisvis, Shitas Mos of the Rishonim, that the third temple is going to come down from the heavens, maybe this is part of what it means. What's the image? Anything could be. We have a Munashalema. It could be that somehow from the blue heavens, a building will come down. Maybe it means that the building is there. And it's going to, the heavens, who says the heavens is up there? Maybe the heavens is deep down inside everything. And it's going to come out of the ground. And the temple of David is standing. And Moshe, what did Moshe Rabbeinu build? The Mishkan, the Amar Mar, we learn that when the first temple was built, what do you think happened to the Mishkan? It wasn't destroyed. Nignas, it was hidden. What was hidden? Everything, the oil moyed, the entire building, with the karashav, with the beams, with the karashav, with the hooks, with the brichav, with the bars, with the amudav, with the pillars, vadanav, with the sockets. Ask Gemar Hecha, where was it hidden? It was hidden under the tunnels of the Beis Hamikdash. Means now under Temple Mount are tunnels, and in those tunnels there are chambers. And just like there is an area there where the where the where the Aron Kodesh is hidden, etc., there is a whole area under the tunnels of Harabayas where everything that Moshe Rabbeinu built is hidden, and it's going to be incorporated in the third Beis Hamikdash. Mechal this concept that the second temple that the first Beis HaMikdash was built physically on top of the Mishkan, because the Mishkan is under the ground, and the second Beis HaMikdash was built on top of the first Beis HaMikdash, this is really the model of Yiddishkeit. That we view ourselves never as disconnecting ourselves from our past, like we are starting something, never. That our whole Kayach is because we are connected to our past, we are midgets on the, on the shoulders of giants. So true, because we are in their shoulders, we can reach a drop higher. But the only reason why we reach higher is because we acknowledge our past. And every temple was built on the prior temple. She set her eyes on someone that was not worthy for her, not meant for her. In other words, she looked at another man. So Masha Biksha Lenitama. Not only does she not get what she wanted, why does she not get what she wanted? We're going to again learn soon that when the Torah in Parsha Saita uses the words v'nitma'ah, 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 three times, it comes to teach us that if a woman commits adultery from that moment on, asur l'bayil, v'asur l'bal, and if she married a kain, she cannot eat truma, which means that she had a relation with a man that wasn't her husband. Halachically, she's never allowed to be with him again. Means even if her husband is going to divorce her, she's not going to drink the water. She's going to admit guilt. 
she can never be with the adulterer. And not only can she not be with the adulterer, but Asr Labal. Whatever she had, she loses as well. It's taken away from her. Because that's the rule in life. Whoever sets one's eyes on something that does not belong to them, that which you are seeking, which is wrong, which is not yours, you will not be given that. And not only that, that which you already have, will be taken away from you. And now we're going to learn an amazing piece of Gemara. Daf Tes Amid Beis. says the Gemara And we find this by the primordial serpent. Right, the snake, the serpent in Gan Eden, that he set his eyes on that which was not fit for him. And the top Rashi quotes, right, when it says in Chumash Bereshis, that after God tells Chava, what did you do? So she says, Hanachas, and in the Chumash, the Pshat is with a shin. He, she, ani, the snake deceived me. So we have a Chazal say, don't read he, she, ani. She didn't say the Nachash deceived me. But she said it with the sin. He, see ani. He, see ani from the words of marriage. That the Nachash, nothing of this should be taken physically. The Nachash had some sort of relation with her. The Nachash wanted to be with her. And here, Bechal, it's good to remind ourselves that in Sanhedrin, Daphnon Tes, we have an amazing Braisa. And the Gemara says that Abshimem Menasya says regarding the Nachash Akadmoini, he says Chaval that it's a loss, it's a pity that the world lost the Shamish Hagadol. And as we'll see a pit here, putting it together with what we have in Sanhedrin, that the Nachash that God created, whatever that was, that Nachash was intelligent, that Nachash spoke, that Nachash walked upright, and it was created to be manservant. And every human being was was going to be given two snakes. And they would be our uh, personal assistants. It's an amazing b'raisa. And one would be sent to the north, and one would be sent to the south, and they would do all of our work for us. And we would have all of our time available to connect to Hashem by learning and keeping mitzvahs. And when, they, when that was destroyed, so the whole nachash changed. So the nachash, when we learned these midrashim, that the nachash wanted to marry Chava, or somehow the words on Chazal that he married had a relation with Chava, the nachash was very human-like. But he was not meant to marry Chava. So what happened there was not only or not only was he not given Chava, but everything that the Nachash had, which made him superior to all of the other creatures, he was the king of all the creatures. And that's the system. In other words, when man, when we are subservient to God, so nature is subservient to us. And literally that's how it was. Now today we have a car, we understand that there are certain things that we figured out that they serve us. It would have been two snakes. Every person would have two uh, servants. God says, I said, that the serpent would have been the ruler over all of, all of nature, other than man. Now, not only are you not going to get Chava, but is that you are cursed. You are more lowly than all of the other domesticated animals, and all the non-domesticated animals. In other words, I said, God said, that the snake should walk upright. Now, the snake walks on his belly. Initially, the snake would have eaten the same food that we eat. Now he's going to eat the dust of the earth. Who, Amar, I, the snake said, Adam, I'm going to kill Adam. I'm going to marry Chava. How did he think he was going to kill Adam? In other words, he knew, he believed that when we will eat from the eight Hadas, we're going to die. 
But he was hoping that when Chava has a wife, she's not going to eat first and give it to Adam, that she would serve her husband. So he thought he's going to give Adam first from the fruit. He also thought that punishment comes immediately. So what were to happen if Adam would have eaten the fruit before her and if the punishment comes immediately, then Adam would have died. And then he would marry Chava. That was his plan. But Ashav now, Hashem says, Eva ashes beincha ubeincha That enmity, that hatred is inserted by nature inside the snake, inside mankind. And not only in those primordial man and snake, but Ben Zadacho, Ben Zadah, forever. Their descendants and our descendants. Between man and snake, that there's a, there's a nimity, there is, there is a hatred. And that's a natural thing. Now, I, there are certain people, like we learned uh, two days ago, that people maybe became so lowly that uh, they're in the madrega of a snake. Snake pets, but that, there's, a, there's a natural hatred between both of us. And the Chaim Kayin. Let's go quickly one by one. What happened with Kayin? So there's an argument. Either Kayin, like Rashi says, was married with a twin. Hevel was married with two twins. And Kayin felt that since he's the firstborn, then the second twin of Hevel should be his wife. And now, how, so he wanted something that was not his. Now what happened to Cain? He lost what was his. How did he lose his own wife? So here you have to say, because since God told him, no, no, you have to wonder. So his wife was unable to wonder with him. So he ultimately was even separated from his wife. Or like the Marsha says, that Cain and Hevel, they divided the world. Cain said, I'm keeping all the real estate. Hevel said, I'm keeping all the movables. And now what happened, even the real estate that was his, he was unable to keep because of Nov and Nod, because he needed to wander the whole time. He couldn't establish himself. What was Kairach? Kairach was a lady. Kairach wanted to the Kahuna. And not only did he not get the Kahuna, but Kairach died. So he wasn't even a lady. Who was Bilam? Bilam wanted to get the money for giving the Eitzah, which ultimately led to the death of 24,000 Jews when he went to collect the money. Again, not only did he not get money, which wasn't rightfully his, he died. None of what he owned was used by him. Doyeg, so says the Rashi, you look inside the fourth Rashi, right the first narrow Rashi, Doyeg was Abir Horayim, the Godl Shabbat Talmidim that he was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. However, but he had jealousy over David, that he saw that not only was David not only was David very binadik, uh, he had a lot of bina, but on top of that, he was ishtoyar, umar upon him, bahalacha, that, that David had a special hatzlacha in finding out the dvar havayizu halacha. So doig hadami bad mouthed him to shoal, and ultimately doig died early. And same thing we find in Achitoifel. And again, Achitoifel, Rashi says over here, if you look mamash to the side, that nasan ain't of bimalucha, that Achitoifel wanted the kingdom. And again, what happened to Achitoifel, that Rashi says at the end, that lo that he died not even in half of his preordained time. Back in the Gemara Gechazi, Gechazi was the Shamish of the prophet Elisha. And when Naaman, Melacharam, was afflicted with the leprosy, and he came to the prophet, and the prophet gave him the simple advice of toveling yourself, swimming in the uh, Jordan River, and it worked, and he wanted to pay Elisha. And Elisha didn't want to take payment. Came ahead the Gabai, and came on the Shamish, Gechazi, and he ran after Naaman. And he says, no, 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 you can make payment. And he took the money for himself. So what did Hashem do? The leprosy that was afflicted to Naaman, Melech Aram, went into Gechazi. He became a leper. 
Abshalom was the son of David HaMelech, one of his sons. And we're going to learn about Abshalom a lot, and he also wanted to rebel against his father. He wanted the kingdom. Not only did he not get the kingdom, but again, he was killed. Adoni Yohu, who was Adoni Yohu? Adoni Yohu is another one of David HaMelech's sons that he wanted not to marry. Abvishag, one of the Pilekshe of David HaMelech, and then he wanted the kingdom, and he too, he was killed by Shleim HaMelech, and not only did he not get what he wanted, he lost his life. Uziyoh was, was another king of Yehuda. He was from the tribe of Yehuda. However, he decided that he wants to be the coin Gadol, so Hashem put some leprosy on his face. So not only did he not get what he wanted, he lost what he had. And Haman, who's the tenth, Again, that he was already a minister of a high position. But that wasn't enough for him. He couldn't tolerate the existence of anyone else. And again, his end was that he lost his life and he lost his wealth, etc. That all of those ten, So what did God do? Not only, Not only did they not get what they were wanting wrongfully, What they already had, was taken away from them. Said the Mishnah that by Yorech, his Chilo that the act of adultery begins with the thighs, so the thighs were stricken first. How do we know that? If you're telling me that because it says in the Pasik, in the Seder. No, it's the Mishnah speaks first about the thighs collapse and then the stomach inflates. Because if it's because it says in the Pasik, in Parshas Nasei, in the portion of Saita, that Hashem is going to put to you if you committed adultery, that your thighs will collapse, and your stomach will explode, will become all swollen. I, in the Pasik itself, it says right afterwards, it says the opposite order. It says first, first the stomach will inflate, and then it says that the thighs will collapse. So Amar Abai explains the following. When the Kain was articulating the words of curse, first the Kain mentioned the thighs, and then and then he mentioned the stomach. And why is that? Because the sin of adultery begins with the thighs. And then with the stomach. However, but when she actually drinks the waters, so physically when the waters go into a person, in what organ does the waters go into first? Into the stomach. They punish on their path, which is so actually physically, first her stomach expanded, and then her thighs, her legs collapsed. I, says the Gemara, even in the words of the curse of the client to her, namiksiv, First the coin says, Lots boys, beten. And then he says, Answers the Gemara, Hey, the coin is telling her what's going to happen. If the coin only would have mentioned first the thighs and then the stomach, and since we are admitting that when she drinks the water, if she committed adultery, first the stomach expands and then her thighs collapse, the observers are going to think, it worked, but it didn't really work. You see, the coin said this, it happened the opposite. So, the coin wants to notify her, that in actuality, first the Bet and Beresha, and then your thighs will collapse. For people not to give, to, to minimize the, the preciseness of the way the waters work.
So there is a concept of mida connected mida. First you sin with your thighs, then with your stomach. So conceptually, first your thighs are punished and then your stomach. But then, in actuality, it was the opposite order. Continues the Mishnah. Shimshin, halach, achad enov. Shimshin's sin was that he followed his eyes. And to speak this out now, we'll speak this out again, the kids are in Dafyud. It's very important to note, Bechlal, when we speak about Sadiqim, just like we learned in the previous shir, who are in two shirum ago regarding, regarding Ruven and regarding Yehuda, that the Mishnah says that they spoke to her words that are inappropriate because really Yehuda didn't sin. Really Ruven didn't sin. The only reason why they read the story to her the way it appears to be written is in order to get her to confess if she committed adultery. So Bechlal, when we learn in Tanakh all of the stories of Tzadikim, to speak in a negative way that Shimshin sinned is a big mistake. What happened with Shimshin? Shimshin got married or had relations with three different Pelishti women. And that's the meaning of Shimshin when it followed his eyes. In other words, he had a physical desire to be with a, with a woman first in Timnas, and then there was a Zoyna in Azza, and then ultimately there was Delilah, and then, and then we know the end of the story that ultimately Shimshin died, Al-Kiddush Hashem, killing many Pelishtim with him, and he, and he put in their heart such fear that even though he only was a judge for 20 years, it says that he was a judge for 40 years because for 20 years after his passing, no one started up with the Jewish people. Why did Shimshin really marry those Pelishti women? Because Shimshin's fear was that he knew that at that time in history, the Jewish people did not yet have this chos, the merit to win the Pelishtim in battle on the battlefield. So he engaged in guerrilla warfare. But what was his fear that after he knew he will be successful to inflict pain on them, they are going to seek retribution from the Jewish people. And he didn't want that to happen. So he needed to behave in such a way that no one should associate him with the Jewish people. He behaved and he did things in which the Jewish community completely disassociated themselves with him. And he was successful with that. So after the story with the, with the first wife that he married from Timnas, that after he married a Pelishti woman, and then her father gave that same wife to another man. And he went and he took 300 foxes and he tied uh, fire to their tails and he had them run through their fields and he made terrible... Uh, he inflicted a lot of pain on the Pelishtim. They never went to seek retribution from the Jewish people because all of that always appeared as a personal vendetta. They took his wife away. He took revenge for his wife. And he went from one Pelishti woman to another Pelishti woman. Having said all that, having said all that, so really Shimshin went on a serious nefesh. He was a tzaddik. However, still, there was a certain, on his level, there was a certain following of the eyes. And therefore, Lefikach, Nikru Pelishtim Esenov, at the end, the Pelishtim, they poked out his eyes. Shunem it says, this is at the end of the story with Delilah, that Vayoy Chazu Pelishtim, that ultimately when the Pelishtim got hold of him, because he cut his hair, or she cut his hair, Vayinakru Esenov, and they poked out his eyes. Afshalom, as we'll see in Ritz Hashem soon, is God, he glorified himself, he boasted with his beautiful hair. Afshalom was the most perfect person that, was, that ever existed. Obviously, it's not only physically. He was perfect physically because he was perfect spiritually. And all these stories have to be understood in the right way. But Absalom made a terrible rebellion against his father. And ultimately, his death came to him through his hair, as we'll see soon. Lefikach, therefore, nitla besari, he was hung by his hair. In other words, he chanced in front of Avdei David. 
chance, God forbid, so to say, by divine providence, unbeknown to him, he came up, the, the servants of David, the men of David found Absalom, and he understood that they're out for his blood, and as he's trying to escape, his hair got caught on a branch, and the mule that he was riding on kept on running, and he was hanging from his hair, and we're going to see more of that in Dafyud. And even though he was able to free himself, he pulled out a sword to cut off his hair. And that would have released him from the tree. And he would have ran away. At that moment, he saw the punishment that's awaiting for him. So he realized the sin that he committed by rebelling against his father. And that's the moment. Instead of running away, he did tshuva. And at that moment, it says, Lefikach, he got, he, he got killed then. Now, how did he get killed? He got killed in a gruesome death. So says the Mishnah, See, when Absalom rebelled against his father, he wanted people to know that his rebellion will be a rebellion in which there is no reconciliation. So what did he do? When his father was out of Yerushalayim, he had marital relations with ten of his father's pilakshim. And once he did that, people knew there's no reconciliation. But because he had those relations, Lefikach, Nitnu, Bai, Eser, Lundviyoyz, that ten lances were thrust into him while he was hanging from his hair. Shneman, as it says, that by Yosoivu Asara Noshim, that ten men who were Noisi Kleyoyov, and those ten men, each one of them threw a spear and it pierced him. And on top of that, Ulafisha Ganav Gimel Ganevois, and since he stole three acts of theft, not something physical, but he stole the heart of his father. And he stole the heart of Bezdin. And he stole the heart of Israel. As Rashi says that he got from Dovr HaMelech. This is in the beginning of his rebellion. Before David knew he's making a rebellion. Absalom says, Father, I need advisors. So his father wrote him a note. And he tells that you, Absalom, have the right to take two of any of my advisors. So he took that note. And he went over to two of the members of Sanhedrin. And he says, Dovr HaMelech is telling you to join me. So they joined him. He took the same note and he went to another two. And he went to another two. Until he gathered 200 members of Sanhedrin. So he stole the heart of his father. He stole the heart of Bezin. And when the Jewish people saw that so many members of Sanhedrin joined Afshalim, so that already gave him the, the ability to make some sort of rebellion. Look who's with him. So that's why, Nisku Ubai Gimel Shvatim. Here the word Shvatim, interesting, is a change from the words Lunviyois. Lunviyois and Shvatim both mean lances or different types of swords. So aside of him being pierced ten times, there was one soldier that had three lances and stuck it into his heart. Shneman, as it says, Vayikach Shloisha Shvatim, Shevet from the word stick, and Bekapai in his hand, Vayiskoim, and it was inserted, Belev Afshalayim. He stole three hearts, Mida Keneged Mida. He had three swords in his heart. Now, finally, says the Mishnah, ah, so now that we explained the concept we showed historically, Mida Keneged Mida, so you should know that Mida Keneged Mida is not only in the negative, but Vechein Le'ina that the same thing is when it comes to the positive. And as the Gemara is going to say later, actually, Meruba Mida Toiva, not the same equal measure for measure, when it comes to Hashem reacting Right? So then God's reaction by good is a lot more, as we'll see later. But the concept is the same. It's midah keneged midah, that we have the power to be the initiators. We do and God reacts. Miriam, himtina lomaisha shaachas. Miriam waited for Maisha only one moment, one hour, as it says in Chumash Shemais, vate satsav that Miriam was standing from the distance to see what's going to happen. She had a moon, he's going to be 
saved. She was the one that with her prophecy, she foretold that you mother, that you will give birth to the savior of the Jewish people. And she convinced her parents to get remarried. So there was no lack of emunah. But you can have emunah that God will bring a salvation. And because of that emunah, you are curious. I know I'm going to be saved. I know Moshe is going to be saved. How will God save him? So she wasn't standing there with anxiety. Oh, what's going to happen to him? She wanted to see Hashem's salvation. And therefore, that the Jewish people, when she needed to be waited for, everyone waited for her, not for one hour. Like we said, for seven days. As it says that after Miriam and Aryan spoke, again, on their level, they, they failed regarding not speaking positively about their brother Moshe. And because of that, Miriam, and according to most others, Adon himself, were afflicted with leprosy that was immediately healed. However, just like when a Metzoyde is healed physically from the signs of his tzoras, as we learned a lot in Nazar, now they begin a seven-day procedure of purification. So the same thing happened with Miriam. And during those seven days, they are still, um, they, they, they are still, ex, ex, exi- they are kicked out of all of the three machnas. Right? They have to stay chutz mishalish machnas. So she was not allowed to be inside the Jewish camp. So it says in the Pasik that that none of the people moved ad us of Miriam until Miriam was reabsorbed, regathered. And likewise, Yosef, Yosef was the one who had the merit to lead the burial of his father. And since the Ein Be'ech of Godl Mimenu, and no one amongst the brothers then were as dominant as noble, as great, as Yosef. He was the king. He was the visery. as it says, that Yosef was the one that went up to Israel to bury his father. And because of him, who came up with him? Chariots, horsemen. So now, likewise, who do we find? A greater honor that was given to Yosef. That Moshe himself was the one occupying himself with the burial of Yosef. And likewise, it goes on. It's a, it's, it keeps on going. So Moshe Zachabat Somis Yosef, Moshe Rabbeinu occupied himself. He attended the bones, the, 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 the remains of Yosef, and the Ein Yisrael Gadol Mimenu. And be, no one is greater in Israel like, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Shinamaraz, it says, So the greatest occupied. So who's the greatest? Hashem Himself. Is me Godl me Moshe? Shulenis Asik Boy Elohamakim. Hashem Himself was the one that buried Moshe, as it says, Vayikbar Oisa Bagai, that Hashem buried him in the valley. And now the Mishnah concludes beautifully that Loyal Moshe Lovadomru, that the concept that Hashem occupies Himself in the burial of the leaders of the generation isn't only regarding Moshe, El Alkol Atzadikim. Shenemaraz it says that Vohalach Lefonecha Tzidkecha. That your righteousness will go in front of you. And not only that, but the Kvoid Hashem himself, the glory of Hashem himself, gathers the tzaddik. Obviously, when it comes to most tzaddikim, so Hashem gathers their neshama. Hashem comes to greet them, to gather them. By Moshe Rabbeinu, even physically, Hashem buried the body of Moshe Rabbeinu. Continues the Gemara Tan Rabban and Shimshon Be'en of Marad. Shimshon rebelled following his eyes. Shinemar, as it says, Shimshon told his father, That woman in Timnas, whose name is not mentioned, her I want. Again, his kavana was L'shem Shemayim. But why did he choose her? 
he chose her because he said, because she finds favor in my eyes. Ah, so that was the sin over here. Therefore, the Pelishtim ultimately poked out his eyes. They gorged out his eyes. And as it says, again, the same passage we had in the Mishnah, that asks the Gemara Eini, how can you say that he sinned when it says in the Pasik that that his father and his mother did not know that this is really from God and for God? He did, he was, he, God forbid, he wasn't, he was a tzaddik. He didn't go marry a non-Jewish woman. Side of the fact that she converted. But the, the, the whole concept of him associating himself with women from the nation of Pelishtim was to make sure that he knew he will have kayach to hurt them, that they should never think of hurting the Jewish people back. Answers the Gemara, you're right. He did it l'shem shamayim. However, ki azal miyah is basar yashru azal. Like we explained. He went after, why punt her? There was something personal about her, and for his level, that was sinful. Tanyumi learned that Rebbe says, that really, instead of saying that his downfall was in Timnas, which was his first wife, he married her. And he did it L'Shem Shamayim. And that was not something to which you can get punished for. However, what was his real downfall? His downfall was the second wife. Because even though he married her, but the first time he had a relation with the wife from Gaza was when she was still a Zaina before he married her. And that was sinful. And that's why after he finished with the wife from Aza and he moved on to his third wife, Delilah, ultimately when they schlepped him back as a prisoner, where did that whole story happen? Where did he ultimately die? In Aza. Like we mentioned, because it says, and the first time he had a relation with her, he didn't marry her yet. As it says, that asks the Gemara. Ah, it says, So which one is it? Did he go down? Did he have his day? Did he fall? Did he have his Yerida in Timnas or in Aza? So the Gemara admits, yeah, the same thing we learned before. You know, that, that pruta pruta mitzvah refresh. In other words, the, 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 the first downfall was in Timnas. But that wasn't so great. But then, the next time, not only did he, did he, did he again associate himself with a woman, with a plishti or plishti ha, but he, he, she was a zoyna ba'azah. Tchilas kulkulai, the kilkul, the real corruption happened in azah. Yitzhar Hara tells you today this, tomorrow that, Ad Vukhuli. Says the Gemara, Vahi Acher came. No, Timnas was the first one. That's called the Yerida. So there's a, I had a Yerida. That means I, my level is not as lofty as. And then you have, God forbid, a Kilkul. Kilkul means a corruption. Worsen. It says, Vahi Acher came. No, no, no. There was three women. There was a woman in. Was worse because, this, because, because she was, because he had a relation with her out of wedlock. That then that the third time was Shimshin who had a Ahava to a woman from Nachal Soidek, that's Delila. Ushma Delila. Tanya that he says in Mali Lenikrashma Delila, even if her name wouldn't have been Delila, Ruya Haisa Shetikari Delila. That should have been her name. That is her name. 
What does Delilah mean? Dildalah as koicha, she severed his strength. Dildalah's liba, she severed his heart. And Dildalah as myself, she severed his actions. Explains the Gemara, Dildalah as koicha, as it says that after his hair was cut, Vayasar koicha, all of his koicha left him. Dildalah's liba, as it says, Vatera Dalilah, Kihigidla as koliba, that he managed to spill all the beans. He spoke his whole heart to her. Ultimately, she kept on nudging him. What is the secret of your power? As we'll see in a moment. Unlike the fools who think that Shimshin looked like Mr. America, Shimshin Hagibir was a cripple. He was a cripple. He was physically a, a cripple. Kipshutai. He couldn't walk on one leg. Both of his legs didn't function. He was, his whole power is, was divine. So it's not like when you have a physical uh, face, Mr. America, you, you don't wonder where they're strong. They're strong from their bodies. Everyone knew that his koyach was not human. And it didn't match his body. He looked like a shayid, you understand? Uh, of 90 years old. Just to get the right image. Who couldn't walk with none of his feet were working. So she wanted to know, where do you get your strength from? And, and when he finally, and he, and he was drinking her cup. But at the end, when he told her, it's my here, I'm a nazir. He spilled all the beans. The last mice of, and she severed his actions. What did she do? It means the istalik shechina minei that the shechina left him. The chsev as it says v'hula yada that he didn't know ki Hashem saw me all of that Hashem left him. Now says the gemara v'tered delilah ki gedas goliba that delilah saw that he told her his whole heart. Asks the gemara how did she know when he said that the source of his strength is the fact that he's a nazir? How did she know that this is the truth? Because he told her many other foolish reasons beforehand. So, Amar Abchan and Amar Rebbe, good words, Nikar and Divrei Emes, that when you say the truth, people know you said the truth. Abaya says that Yada Baibo is a tzaddik, that she knew in this tzaddik, and it's important for the Gemara to call Shimshon a tzaddik, because he was a tzaddik. That he never used Hashem's name in vain. And since when he gave her the final explanation, which was the first true explanation, that Nizir Eloikim, Ani, I am a Nazar to Elohim. He used one of the names of Hashem. Amr, she says, Ah, hashtavadai kushta ka'amar. Now he's saying the truth. And by he, it says in the Pasuk, how did, he, how did she get him to admit the truth? Because it says, Ki She tormented him with her words. Call Hayamim all of the days. And then it says, Vate'altseyu, she distressed him. My Vate'altseyu, as the Gemara understands, tormenting we understand. But as the, the distressing, what was that? Amr, Rabbi the Vey Rav Ami, in the Shiva of Rav Ami, there was a Rabbi Yitzchak. There were so many Rabbi Yitzchaks you have to identify. So the Rabbi Yitzchak of the Vey Rav Ami says that Bishas Gmar Bia, that when he was about to finalize an act of cohabitation, Nishmatomi Tachtov, she used to slip out from under him. And he was obviously a tzaddik, he was very careful in Zedel of Atola. And she told him, then you got to tell me where you get your strength from. And that's how she distressed him. And now, now we're going to Gemara's jumping back to what the Malach told Shimshon's mother. Tzalal point is when he notified her that she will give birth to a son that will be a savior of the Jewish people. So the Malach tells the mother, from now on, he please be careful. Don't drink wine. Don't drink aged wine. Don't eat anything impure. Asks the Gemara, don't eat something impure. What's the call? And more. You know, when you tell a person, don't eat something tummy, what, was she eating something tummy until now? God forbid. So, the Malach telling the mother before she got pregnant. 
that that the Devarim Ho'asurim bin Nazir, and now quickly jumping back to Masechtas Nazir, now she speaks out over here, Mishrasiyayin, we had really a Machlekes Tanoim, what that means, if you remember that. So we had a concept of Heted Mitztaraf Le'isir. Then we had invited another interpretation of Tamke Iker, that's the Tamke Iker, which means that if wine or grapes are soaked in water, if some of the taste of the wine, some of the grapes goes to the water, even though you had a lot of more water than the grapes, and you take the grapes out, still, Tamke Iker, you didn't have the Bittel Bashishim, that's one of the sources. Now, after, you know, we're going back and forth. During one of his battles, it was guerrilla warfare with the Pelishtim. So it says that Vayevaka Elikim es Hamachtesh Asher Balechi, that Hashem split open a hollow that wasn't the jawbone. It says that Shimshin grabbed a, a jawbone of a Chamoir, and with that jawbone, he killed a thousand Pelishtim. And then he got very thirsty, no kidding. And he was so thirsty that he was going to die. So Hashem made a miracle that in the jawbone, the, the donkey lost one tooth from all that. It was a tool that was used well. So from that, Hashem cracked it open and water came out. So he got his water miraculously drinking from the hollow in the jawbone. Now says the Gemara, that he desired something that's impure. Going back to women from Pelishtim. Therefore, God could have made a miracle. You know, Hashem, Hashem is almighty. Why did the water have to come from a donkey's jawbone? Because the donkeys are not kosher animal. That was to show him that you wanted something tame. Your life depends on something impure. Then it says, that God's spirit began to imbue him. That what does that mean? That from the moment he was born, Yaakov Avinu's prophecy was fulfilled. What did Yaakov Avinu say when he benched his son Don? So he told him that Don Yodin Amoy Ka'achat Shifta Yisrael. And we're going to get to this Pasik on Da'an Yud. And that's a hard Pasik to interpret. And Rashi and Chumash interprets that Don Yodin Amoy, this is in reference to Shimshin, that he's going to seek the vengeance by judging the Polishtim. And Ka'achat Shifta Yisrael means Al Pip that all of the tribes of the Jewish people were together with Shimshin. And then the passage continues that Yehi Don, right, Nachash Aleiderech, that Don, referring to Shimshon, who was from the tribe of Don, should be like a serpent on the road. And who was Yaakov referring to? Shimshon. So when he was born, Yaakov of Vino's prophecy started to be fulfilled. Then it says, we're going back to the now the word is a hard word to interpret. That God's spirit resounded in him. What does it mean resounded in him? So again, Amr Rabbi Yitzchak from the yeshiva of Rabbani. That the shechina went into him to what degree? That everyone noticed that the shechina is in him. It was ringing like a bell. Kizug, like we find. It says, it says over here, that God's spirit went into him to resound the name of the camp of Don. And it says by the coin Godel, that whenever the coin Godel walked around on one of his garments, he had on the bottom, by the hem, and he had a bell and a pomegranate. Why did he have a pomegranate and a bell? So when the coin Godel walked, everyone should hear, here comes the coin Godel, that the presence of the Shekhinah in Shimshon was so obvious, like we mentioned, it wasn't that he was a strong person, and he was winning because he was strong. He, he wasn't strong at all. He was winning, people saw how, how when the Kali is a nothing, his, his body was nothing. 
and through this body that there was a, a, a divine power. And where was he living? So it says, Ben Tzoro Ben Eshtoel. So Amar Avasi, you should know that Tzoro and Eshtoel is not geographically in a certain city, but Tzoro and Eshtoel are two large mountains. And when Hashem's Shechina began to appear through Shimshon, Shimshon picked up two mountains, and Shimshon he uprooted two mountains, and he ground one in the other. He did feats that are humanly impossible. Now we're going to stop over here, and it's to be continued.